0: 9. If she is to be a sharer in the family life of her employer, she must use excellent English, must know how to dress quietly and suitably, and must not only know how to keep herself in the background of family life, but must be willing to remain somewhat in the shadows, probably no better field for the investigation of these trying questions could be found than the high school. The ranks of employers of domestic help are being constantly recruited from the girls who were the high school students of yesterday and have now taken their places as housekeepers. The high school then, where the problem may be approached in an impersonal manner quite impossible later when the question has become a personal one, is the proper place in which to study the domestic service question and to attempt its standardization. The higher positions involving domestic work are more in the nature of supervisory employment. Many women are employed as matrons in hospitals, boarding schools, and other institutions, as housekeepers in hotels, club buildings, or in large private establishments. These positions of course call for women who are not only thoroughly familiar with the work to be done, but are skilled in managing their subordinates who do the actual work. They require women who have administrative ability, knowledge of keeping accounts, proper standards of living and of service, and initiative. For the woman who has a desire to enter business for herself there are openings in the line of domestic work. From time immemorial women have managed lodging and boarding houses, sometimes with good returns. They are also the owners and managers of tea rooms, restaurants, laundries, dyeing and cleaning establishments, hairdressing and manicure shops, and day nurseries. All these occupations can be followed successfully only by the woman of business ability and some technical knowledge. They require not only knowledge but aptitude on the part of the worker. They are usually undertaken only by women of some experience, and are the result of some earlier choice rather than the choice of the vocation-seeking girl. Teaching. The teacher differs from the person who has merely an interest in humankind in the abstract, because she has a special interest in one particular class of human beings those who are most distinctly in the process of making. She is interested in children, or she should not be teaching. This, however, is not enough. The girl who wishes to teach must possess certain well-defined characteristics. Her health must be good, and her inner force stable. Temperamentally she must be enthusiastic and optimistic, but capable of sustained effort even in the face of apparent failure. Her outlook must be broad, and her patience and failing. Intellectually she must be a student, and if she possess considerable initiative and originality in her study, so much the better. She must not. however become a student of mathematics or history or languages to the exclusion of the more absorbing study of her pupils, nor even do so great a degree as she studies them. The true teacher represents a high type of social worker. Many girls enter upon the work of teaching badly handicapped by the lack of some of these essential qualities and are in consequence never able to arise to a real understanding and accomplishment of their work. Teaching in these days is a broad vocation, covering many different lines of work, Probably no occupation for girls is so well known with both its conditions and rewards as this. In general, more girls than are by nature fitted for the work stand ready to undertake it. There is nevertheless difficulty for school officials in finding real teachers enough to fill their positions. For the right girl, teaching has much to offer. Library work. The librarian in these modern days is a most important public servant. And many openings in library work are to be found. The services to be performed range from purely routine work to a very high type of constructive service for the community. In the small libraries an all-round type of worker is required. In the larger ones specialties may be followed. In these larger libraries there are to be found permanent places for the routine workers. In smaller ones each worker should be in line for even the highest type of constructive work. The routine worker in the library is nearly an office worker and the same girl who would do well at the mechanical tasks of an office will do well here. The real librarian is of a different sort. She must have the neatness, precision, and accuracy of the office worker, to be sure, but to these she must add a broad conception of the place of the library in the community, and must display initiative and originality in bringing it to occupy that place. She must know books, she must know people, she must be in touch with current history and be alert to place library material bearing upon it at the disposal of the people. She must have quick sympathies, tact, the teaching spirit carefully concealed, and much administrative ability, and she must be trained for her work. Illustration, photograph by Brown Bros, a well-equipped library. The successful librarian must be scientifically trained for her work nursing. The nurses in many ways like the teacher. And the girl who has the right temperament for successful teaching will usually make a successful nurse. Temperamentally considered, her mental traits, or perhaps more exactly her habits of thought, may be somewhat different. The teacher must be able to attend to many things, the nurse must be able to concentrate on one. Originality and initiative are less to be desired, since the nurse is not usually in charge of her case directly, but rather subject to the doctor's orders. She must, nevertheless, be resourceful in emergencies, and of good judgment always, she should become as well as patient, quiet in speech and movement, a keen observer, and willing to accept responsibility, absolute obedience and loyalty to her superiors is expected, and a high conception of the ethics of her calling, underlying all these qualifications, the nurse must have not only good health but physical strength, illustration, copyright by Keystone View Company. During the World War nursing offered to a women perhaps the largest opportunities for service. Here is shown Princess Mary of England in the Great Ormond Street Hospital. London Social Work. This term covers many occupations which overlap the work of the teacher, the nurse, the secretary, the house mother or matron, and even that of the physician and lawyer. The field of work is a large one, including settlement leaders and assistants, workers in social and community centers and recreation centers. Vacation playgrounds, public and private charities, district nurses and visiting nurses sent out by various agencies, deaconesses and other church visitors, young women's Christian association leaders and helpers, missionaries, welfare workers in large manufacturing or mercantile establishments, probation officers, and many others, illustration, photograph by Brown Bros. Settlement work at Greenwich House, New York the settlement worker to succeed must be truly altruistic the social worker must of course have the same suitability for teaching or nursing or any other of the various tasks that she may undertake as has the teacher or nurse or other person who works under different auspices she must have in addition a truly altruistic spirit a deep earnestness which will survive discouragement and a real insight into the circumstances handicaps and possibilities of others This insight presupposes maturity of thought, and the young girl must serve a long apprenticeship with life before she is at her best as a social worker. It sometimes seems as though no field was so exactly sweet to the abilities of the married woman who has time for service, or the mother whose children are grown, leaving her free again to teach or nurse the sick or bring justice to the little child as she was trained to do in her youth. Less common vocations for women but still often chosen after all are reserved for those whose abilities are so specialized and so striking that they compel a choice. Singers, artists with brush or pen, the natural actress, the journalist or author, need usually no one to guide their choice. Our great difficulty here is not to open the girl's eyes to her opportunity, but to restrain the one who has not measured her ability correctly from attempting that which she cannot perform. The same is true of girls who aspire to be physicians, lawyers, or ministers. Some few succeed in all these vocations. Many more have not the scientific habits of mind, the stability, or the endurance to make a successful fight for recognition against great odds. Many girls mistake what may be a pleasant and satisfying avocation for a life work. For the girl who will not be held back, there may be a life of achievement ahead. With fame and all the other accompaniments of successful public life, or there may be the disappointments of unrealized ambition. We must see that girls face this possibility with the other. Chapter XII The girl's work continued vocations A.S. Affecting homemaking choice of vocation is far from being a simple matter for either boy or girl, but for the girl who recognizes homemaking as woman's work. Double possibilities complicate her problem more than that of the boy. The girl must prepare for life work in the home, or life work outside the home, or a period of either followed by the other or perhaps a combination of both during some part or even all of her mature life. It is the part of wisdom for us to study vocations in their relation to homemaking. Will the girl who works in the factory, for instance, or who becomes a teacher or a lawyer or a physician, be as good a homemaker as she would have been had she chosen some other occupation? Will she perhaps be a better homemaker for her vocational experience? Or will her life in the industrial world unfit her for life in the home or turn her inclination away from the homemaker's work? These questions have somehow fallen into the background in the steady increase of girls as industrial workers. Good money has usually come first, and after that other considerations of social advantage, working conditions, or local demand. Marriage and motherhood are still recognized as normal conditions for most women but we let their industrial life step in between their homemaking preparation and home and school, with the result that many lose physical fitness or mental aptitude or inclination for the home life. We treat marriage as an incident, even though it occurs often enough to be for most women the rule rather than the exception, that sometime in their lives, 93.8% of all women marry. The first broad classification of vocations in their relation to homemaking is, one knows which are favorable to homemaking to those which are unfavorable, 3 those which are neutral. It must, however, be recognized at the outset that few hard and fast lines between these groups can be drawn, and that, the personal equation, is as important a factor here as in most personal questions. It is true, nevertheless, that helpful deductions may be drawn from facts which it is possible to gather concerning the physical, mental, and moral results of pursuing certain occupations as a prelude to marriage and the making of a home in a general way. Economic independence, that island the earning of her own living by a girl for several years before marriage, tends to increase her knowledge of the value of money and to make her a better financial manager. Probably the same independence makes a girl slightly less anxious to marry, especially since in most cases she has hitherto been expected to give up her personal income in exchange for an extremely uncertain system of sharing what the husband earns independence of any sort is reluctantly laid aside by those who have possessed it. This very reluctance on the part of girls ought to be a force in the direction of economic independence of wives, a most desirable and necessary condition for society to bring about. Gainful occupation has then much to recommend it and little to be said against it as part of the training for matrimony. Certain occupations, however, are so essentially favorable to the girl's homemaking ability and to her probable inclination to make a home of her own that we do not hesitate to recommend them as the best directions for girls' vocational work to take, other things being equal. We have already said that the girl distinctly not home-minded is more safely left to her own inclinations. She would not be a success as a homemaker under any circumstances. Other girls may be made or marred by the years which intervene between their school and home life. Illustration Copyright by Underwood and Underwood The value of domestic work of any sort as a preparation for homemaking is generally admitted without argument. The value of domestic work of any sort as a preparation for homemaking is generally admitted without argument. Closely in touch with a home throughout her maturing years, the girl may undertake her own housekeeping problems with ease and efficiency conditions as they often exist. However, especially for the younger and entrained domestic worker do not allow the girl to obtain other experience quite as necessary if she is to become not merely a housekeeper but a true homemaker. The untrained girl who enters upon domestic work at fourteen or fifteen should have opportunity indeed the opportunity should be thrust upon her of attending a continuation school, where the special aim should be to counteract the narrowing tendency of work which revolves about so small an orbit. Ideals of home life are either lacking or distorted in the minds of many working girls and when such girls become wives and mothers they strive for the wrong things or they fall back without striving at all. Taking nearly what comes, they fail to be forces for good in their family life. Illustration, demonstration by teacher in domestic science. Teaching affords excellent preparation for the prospective homemaker. Teaching and nursing may be grouped together as excellent preparation for the prospective homemaker. It may be contended that the teacher and the hospital nurse spend years outside the home environment and that their minds are turned to other problems than those of housekeeping. This contention is undoubtedly true, and if we were striving merely to make housekeepers, it might be worthy of serious consideration. The home, however, as we have defined it, is a place in which to make people, and both the nurse and the teacher serve a long apprenticeship in this sort of manufacture. Expert workers in either line concern themselves with the bodies and the minds of their pupils or patients. They, together with physicians, lawyers, and social workers, have opportunities which can scarcely be equaled for learning by observation and experiment about the human relations that will confront them in their own homes they learn to be resourceful and to meet the emergencies of which life is full, they had the advantage of trained minds to set to work upon the administrative problems which underlie successful home life. Illustration, copyright by Underwood and Underwood Women Medical Students. Physicians and surgeons have unusual opportunities for learning by observation and experiment about the human relations that will confront them in their own homes. A question may arise as to the physical fitness for marriage and motherhood of the girl who has given her inner force to the exacting and, often depleting work of nurse, teacher, or physician. It is unquestionably true that nurses and teachers do often wear out after comparatively few years at their vocation, although of the majority the opposite is true. This merely means that conditions surrounding these vocations should be studied with a view to their improvement, if necessary, since we believe the vocations to be sweet to women and women to the vocations, office work may prove an excellent training for certain phases of homemaking work, neatness, accuracy, precision, the doing again and again of constantly recurring tasks, all find their place and use in the housekeeper's routine. The calm atmosphere of the well-kept office even when typewriters and calculating machines are rattling is a better preparation for an orderly home than the rush of the department store or the factory. Purely routine workers, who put little or no thought into their daily tasks, will enter upon homemaking lacking the initiative that homemakers need, but the able office worker is not merely a follower of routine. The greatest lack of office work as preparation for a homemaking career is that the girl's interests during so large a part of her day are led away from the home and all that pertains to it, she works neither with people nor with the things which go to make homes, probably, on the whole, office work in a general way may be classed as a neutral occupation, which neither adds to, nor reduces, in any great degree the girl's possibilities as a homemaker, salesmanship for girls especially in the great department stores of the cities, is a vocation of at least doubtful advantage for the home-minded girl to pursue as a step in her training for managing her own home. In the quiet of the village store, with few associates in work, and with one's neighbors and fellow townsmen for customers, salesmanship takes on a somewhat different aspect, but the city store means usually hurry, excitement, nerve strain, a long day with quite probably reaction to excessive deity and hence more nerve strain at night. It means spending one's days among great collections of finery which tend to assume undue importance in the girl's eyes. It means constant association with people who spend, until spending seems the only end in life. It means almost always pay lower than is consistent with decent living if the girl must depend alone upon her own earnings. And none of these things tends toward steady, skillful, contented wifehood and motherhood in later years. This question of underpaid work is of course not found alone in the department store, but, wherever it is found, we may be sure that it tends on the one hand toward marriage as a way of escape from present want, and on the other toward inefficiency in the relation so lightly assumed. The factory girl is in many respects in a position parallel to that of the saleswoman. She earns too little to make comfortable living possible. She too must leave home early and return late, wearied by the monotony of a day in an interesting surroundings with neither energy nor inclination for anything other than complete relaxation and fun. This desire for relaxation leads her often away from a crowded, ill-supported home in the evenings, until the habit settles into a confirmed disposition. This is a decided handicap for a homemaker, coupled with the mental inertia resulting from years of mechanical work without thought. It provides poor material from which to make steady, responsible, efficient women. We have already noted. However, That factories differ widely. It follows of necessity that the girls who work in them come from their work with all grades of ability. The actress, the artist, and the literary woman are usually spoken of as far removed from the true domestic type. This I cannot believe to be true. Except in individual cases, all these women, as makers of finished products, stand far nearer to the traditional type of woman than many others we might name. The life of the actress tends more than the others perhaps to break home ties but in the case of real talent in any direction ordinary rules do not apply. The actress, the artist, and the writer are much more likely to carry on their work after marriage than the teacher, the office worker, or even the factory woman. Many of them succeed to a remarkable degree in doing two things well. Many more, of course, are less successful, but we must not overlook the fact that the failures are more noised abroad than the successes. It is a matter for regret that most women, upon leaving an industrial career for marriage, drop so completely out of touch with their former work. In the case of the untrained woman, who has received little and given little in her work, it is a matter of no moment, but when years have been given to skilled labor, it is economic waste to have the skill lost and the process forgotten. Many times the woman finds herself after a short life in the home obliged to earn a living once more for herself or it may be for a family. She returns to her teaching or her office work or a position in the library, but she is no longer, at least for a considerable time. The expert she once was, why should not the former teacher keep up her interest in educational literature and the new ideas in what might have been her life work? Would it not be well for the one-time stenographer to keep a gentle hold upon the quirks and quarrels which once brought to her her weekly salary? The young mother of my acquaintance who was a concert violinist of much ability has found no time for more than a year to practice, since baby came, and thousands of dollars spent in making her a player are being thrown away. To some this might seem the right thing. She has found the home her sphere. To others it seems a serious waste. We advocate often that the middle-aged woman who has reared her children should return in some way to the work of the world outside the home. In the case of the trained woman her training should be made of use in such return. She should, however, beware lest her tools are rusty from disuse. We may not perhaps leave the questions involved in a discussion of vocations as they affect homemaking without noticing that certain occupations are considered especially dangerous to the moral stability of girls, nursing, private secretaryship and domestic service present dangers in direct proportion as they bring about isolated companionship for the girl and a male employer. Girls must not enter these employments without the knowledge of how to protect themselves from lowering influences. Chapter XII The girls' work continued vocations determined by training The question of vocation choosing begins to make itself felt far down in the grammar school. First among the retarded and backward children who are old for their grades and are merely waiting and marking time until the law will allow them to leave school and go to work. These children are usually either mentally subnormal or handicapped by foreign birth and so unable to grasp the education which is being offered them. As soon as they are released the girls go to the factory, to the store, or to help with someone's baby or with the housework. No other places are open to them, and their possibilities in any place are few. They cannot rise because they are mentally untrained. The upper grades of the grammar school lose annually many children who would be able to profit by the help the school offers to those who can remain. Some drop out because they see no need of remaining when the factory will employ them without further knowledge. Others chafe at spending time on what seems to them, and what sometimes island quite and related to the life they will lead and the work they will do. Some leave reluctantly, because their help is needed in financing a large family. Many go gladly, because they will begin to earn and to have some of the things they ardently desire. And until yesterday the school paid little attention to their going, regarding it as one of the necessary evils. Still less attention did it pay to what these pupils became after they left. The school's responsibility ended at its outer door. Now that these conditions are being changed, the school is finding responsibilities and opportunities on every hand. The foreign born are taken out of the regular grades where they cannot fit and are taught English by themselves first of all. The subnormal children are studied for latent vocational possibilities, and where minds are deficient, hands are the more carefully trained for suitable work. Courses are being revised with a view to holding in school the boy or girl who wants practical training for practical work. Secondary schools have taken their eyes off college requirements long enough to consider fitting the majority of their pupils to face life without the college. Studies of vocations are being made, Vocational training is being offered, vocational guidance is at last coming to be considered the concern of the school. Vocational work is sometimes concentrated in the high school, but this is reaching back scarcely far enough, since those who do not reach high school need help quite as much as the older ones, while those who expect to continue their training can do so better if they have some idea of the goal to be reached. What are the options that the grammar school teacher may present to the girls under her peer? First of all, As we have already said, the school records must be kept with care and discrimination, so that the teacher may know the girl to whom she speaks. With the records in hand, she will ask herself the following questions. 1. Is further training at the expense of the girl's family possible? Do the girl's abilities warrant effort on her parents' part to give her further opportunity? 2. Could the girl's parents continue to pay her living expenses during further training if the training were furnished at the expense of the state? Three. Could the girl obtain training in return for her personal service, either with or without pay, for, would the girl be able to repay in skill acquired the expense of her training, whether born by herself, her parents, or the state, illustration, photograph by Brown Bros, a flower-making class for girls of various ages, there is no reason why vocational work should not begin in the grammar school lines between obtainable work for the trained and the untrained girl are fairly sharply drawn and the possibilities for each type must be clearly understood by the guide. If it is evident that training cannot be obtained before the girl must begin to earn, the choice is necessarily a narrow one. The factories in the neighborhood should be thoroughly studied, and, under the guidance of the teacher, girls should prepare detailed reports with respect to their working conditions. The blind alley job should be plainly labeled, that it may not catch the girl unaware girls who must take up factory work should at least be enabled to choose among factories intelligently, and if possible should be fortified with an advocation that will supply them with the interest their daily task fails to inspire and that will provide an anchor against the instability toward which the factory girl tends, illustration, millinery class in a trade school, where trade schools do not offer such training. There are opportunities for apprentice work for girls the possibilities for apprentice work with dressmakers or milliners or in other handwork should also be made known, girls begin here, as in the factory, that simple and monotonous tasks, but the possibilities of advancement are far greater and mental development is unquestionably more likely, the ability acquired by such workers, as they progress, to undertake and carry through a complete piece of work is not only satisfying to the workers themselves, but of value in later years. They learn to analyze their constructive problems and to work out the various steps of the work to its ultimate conclusion and knowledge which the factory girl never attains. Some few girls will need to be shown the possibilities which lie in independent productive work. For the girl who has talent or even nearly deafness in manual work, coupled with initiative and some degree of originality, such work may bring a better return than working for others. Most girls, however, lack courage to start upon independent work, especially if they are in immediate need of earning and are untrained. It often happens, however, that they do not appraise at its true value the training they have received. The grammar school girl, under present methods of teaching, is often fully qualified to do either plain cooking or plain sewing, but since she does not desire to enter domestic service, she considers these accomplishments very little or not at all in counting her assets for earning. Some girls have found ready employment and good returns in home baking, in canning fruit and vegetables, or in mending, making simple clothes for little children, or in making buttonholes and doing other finishing work for busy housewives. Work of these sorts, undertaken in a small way, has often assumed the proportions of a business, requiring all of a young woman's time and paying her quite as well as and often better than less interesting work in shop or factory. A girl of my acquaintance earns a comfortable living at home with her crochet needle. Another has paid her way through high school and college by raising sweet peas. The untrained girl who loves an outdoor life has fewer opportunities than other girls unless she is capable of independent work. If she is capable of this and has sufficient ability to study her work. Gardening and poultry or bee culture may open the way for her to work and be happy. School gardens. Poultry clubs and canning clubs have shown many a girl what she may do in these ways. Illustration Courtesy of U.S. Department of Agriculture Some girls have built up a good business canning fruits and vegetables at home Many times too little is realized of the possibilities of these grammar school girls who are crowded by necessity into the working ranks. We cannot shirk our responsibilities in regard to them. However, although they escape from our school systems and bravely take up the burden of their own lives, Quite as many of these girls as of more favored ones will marry and be among the mothers of the next generation, the work they do in the interval between school and home will leave its impress even more strongly than upon the girl whose school life lasts longer and who is therefore older as well as better equipped when she enters upon her work. Few of these younger girls in times past can be said to have done anything other than drift into a work which would make or spoil their lives and perhaps those of their children after them. It is well that the responsibility of the school toward them is being recognized and met. Illustration, a prosperous poultry farm. Poultry farming opens the way for the girl who loves an outdoor life to work in the open and be happy. A distinct duty of the grammar school teacher is to make known the facts concerning shortcuts for grammar school girls to office work. And scrupulous business colleges sometimes mislead these immature girls into believing that a short course taken in their school will enable the girls to fill office positions. Facts are at hand which show the futility of attempting office work U.N.